Latter-day Contemplation is a podcast hosted by two Latter-day Saints who have found great value in experiencing God through walking a path of contemplation. The views expressed herein are our own. Hello and welcome to Latter-day Contemplation. We are your hosts, Christopher Hurtado and Riley Risto. Latter-day Contemplation started as an exploration of contemplative practices from many traditions to enhance our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We're by no means experts in the topics we discuss, but what we have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to share in the transformative life of inner peace. We love that you've joined us, and we hope that you find value in this community. Well, hello and welcome back to Latter-day Contemplation. I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Christopher Hurtado. Today we've got a guest, our permanent guest that... Uh, what what did we call you last time, Shiloh? We called you like the perma sub or something. Anyway, it's Shiloh, <laughs> Shiloh Logan, co-founder of the podcast, is coming back because today we're going to do a special sort of retrospective episode. We've we've gone through fifty episodes now. This is number fifty, guys. And wow. uh, I mean, this started like mid twenty twenty, was it? Yeah, mid twenty twenty. Yeah, something like that. It's like April or something like that. Anyway. Um, at some point, we hit our stride and we started going weekly with these things and really kind of knocking them out. But anyway, we've gone 50 episodes and we thought, Chris and I thought that it would be a good idea to go back and do a little retrospective, recap some of the most important messages from the 50 episodes that we've recorded, thank the people who have contributed and kind of set the direction for where we're going in the next 50, hopefully. So kind of to start off with, for those that aren't familiar with our podcast, and maybe they're just coming into this pretty new, Shiloh, would you mind, you you were one of the, you were the founder of this podcast. All credit goes to you. And, you know, you had this separate group, Latter-day Peace Studies, that kind of incorporates Latter-day Contemplation. And in Latter-day Peace Studies, you started this this intensive study of of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And talk to us a little bit about how we got to where we are as a result of that. You know, when you say it that way, that sounds like that's really official. <laughs> like I'm the, you know, the, the founder of it. But, you know, we were all in the same group together. And the, for me, there was this, I've been studying nonviolence for so long and for so many years. And so we created a, a little Facebook group and there were enough people who are like, yeah, I think we can have a little Facebook group. So we had a little Facebook group. And then over the next year, I noticed, I'm like, there's just no place for us to really share our thoughts, you know, kind of like memes or, you know, quotes with inspirational messages. And I'm like, there's so many of these little thoughts that we keep on having. So I'm like, well, let's actually start a page. And I'm like, but I, I don't know, I can't devote myself to be able to make daily content. So it's like, I need to, okay, let's find somebody. So it was at that point I approached Lindsay Olin and I'm like, Hey, I've seen some of the memes you've made before and some of the shareable content you've made what do you think about doing that kind of on a daily basis and having some quotes? And, and she jumped right on it. She thought that was a great idea. And so if it wasn't for her, this whole thing wouldn't have gone off the ground because I certainly didn't have enough time to be able to do it. But she's really become the, the, the master, if you want to say it, the, the whole thing that keeps this project moving forward. She's, she's the thing that kind of keeps this, uh, this ship afloat and moving forward and everything. Cause all the daily content and we created Latter-day Peace Studies and that's what, uh, you know, we ended up calling it. And she produces the daily content. And if anybody gets on there and sees anything that we post, it's, it's through her. And, and so at that point I was like, now we need something else. And I, I've done podcasting before with LDS Liberty. And so I'm like, let's do a podcast. And so I, I think at that point I recruited Ben uh, Peterson and we started doing come follow me because when Ben and I were doing it before we noticed, as I think you guys have, you and uh, Riley and Christopher have have noticed sometimes it's hard to come up with a topic every week. And so I, I approached Ben. I'm like, Hey, let's do a come follow me podcast because then we don't have to think about our content every week. We just, we just do whatever the next lesson is. And we just keep on jumping right in. He's like, okay, let's do that. And it was really at the same time for two or three years, the sermon on the Mount had just become my jam. It was my mantra. It was, it was everything I kind of lived and breathed in and I couldn't get enough of it. I still can't. And the Beatitudes and everything there that we've talked about with this. And that's about the time I was looking around. I'm like, there's got to be someone here who who has a time, the inclination, who was involved with the conversation. And that's where Riley came to mind. And I was like, Riley, Riley's someone who has this really great voice. He's able to you know put his thoughts together cogently. He's able to 
to to to present these ideas because some of these ideas are really complicated can be really complicated and and so that's that's when i approached you i'm like hey contemplation this is this is not something that's really being discussed in lds context but it really does have a lot to say with this whole nonviolent vibe that we're doing and and riley you were so gracious and jumped right on board and like yeah let's do this and we were able to to get a few uh, episodes under our belt and then i was it just time and life and everything. I was selling my business and going back to school. And, and then I was like, I, I, this really, this conversation needs to happen. This conversation really needs to keep on moving forward. And Christopher, you and I have known each other for over 10 years. And I'm like, man, if there's anybody who can really help carry that conversation forward and, and really commit to really commit to this, I'm like, man, it, it's Christopher. And so it's, I never had anyone else in mind whenever I approached anyone. It was just, it was Riley at first. And then it was Chris for a second. And and everything just worked. And so it's, it's more of kind of a, a networking and just being, and having the, uh, the, the foresight or the fortitude, the courage, I don't know, to be able to approach someone and say, Hey, do you want to be involved in this? And I mean, you guys have done a fantastic job. I listened to these episodes. And I'm like, man, these are, this is really great stuff. So, so that's kind of the history of how that all came together. And man, I'm, I'm really proud of what y'all have been able to do and accomplish. From my side of things, you know, when you came and talked to me, I was in this really interesting place in my life where I had spent a lot of uh, the last 20 plus years in, in sort of this orthodox mindset, and my eyes were starting to become open to another approach to spirituality. Um, I have some close friends who in discussions over a long period of time, maybe the last six, seven years, we had began discussing these, these new ideas, and they were tremendously expansive for me. And so part of my own initiative prior to you asking me to do this podcast was to establish this LDS Lectio Divina Facebook group. It's funny how like all this stuff kind of came together serendipitously, but um, I, I established that that uh, Facebook group and that was, it's probably been close to five years ago when I did that. And the whole purpose of that was just to discuss sort of the the contemplative approach to spirituality. So scripture-based um, meditation, um, various forms of prayer from traditions within and without our own church, and, and then just overall this, this contemplative approach. And so I was, I was kind of chugging along with that. You know, there's 100, 150 people or so in the group, and we were, we were sort of discussing ideas back and forth, and it was all good. Well, a few years into that, I, I joined up on your on your, uh, you had a, a weekly call about the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And I just, I fell in love with those discussions because they seemed to fit hand in glove with what I, where the direction I was going with the Lectio Divina group. And if anyone's unaware, I'm sure we've talked about Lectio Divina a lot on this group, but you're welcome to join the group on Facebook. Just look it up, LDS Lectio Divina and Latter-day Peace Studies, join up on those or follow the page. These are all kind of public and we, we welcome everyone. So anyway, when you asked me to do that, I was just in the right space to want to take that on, not because I'm any kind of expert, something we're very you know aware of and we're fond of saying all the time is that we're not your guru, we're not experts in any of this stuff. The purpose of this podcast for us has been to document our journey of faith in this new approach, this contemplative approach. And wow, it's it's had a pretty massive impact on me personally to not only discuss these ideas and really think deeply about each of these topics that we've discussed, but more importantly, to put them into an actual practice and incorporate that into my own discipleship. That's been probably the biggest benefit to me. And then, so when you dropped off and you invited Chris in, and I don't want to speak for you, Chris, because I'll let you do your thing, but um, I, frankly, I was a little nervous. I didn't know Christopher all that well, other than a few, you know, touches here with the Beatitudes group. But uh, you assured me that that it could work out, and so I was I was totally comfortable going forward with that. And uh, so, Chris, what's been your experience joining up uh, in this in this journey? It's been such a great experience doing this with you, Riley and, and Shiloh. I know when I came into this, when when Shiloh asked me to do this, I had been. First of all, I moved out to Bakersfield where Shiloh was already living with the intent to, you know, to be close together and to do things together and, and something like this, even though I didn't know what it was. 
I knew something like this was coming. And so when it came, it, it didn't come as a surprise. Well, it came as a little bit of a surprise, but a welcome one, one that I was anticipating. And it's and it came to me at a moment where I really needed this. I was, again, moving into this space, as you were, Riley, into a more contemplative space out of need, out of personal need for my own spiritual development. And when Shiloh asked me to do this, I thought, man, I know Shiloh loves me. We've been good friends for a long time. Like like you said, over 10 years, we studied philosophy together at BYU. That's where we first met. Uh, because I really need this. And it's been it's been really wonderful to to be able to to share this journey with you uh, Riley and with and with the listener uh you know those who've come along on this journey with us and and we hear from from you often and and we appreciate you and your feedback and so there's there's that part of it and then you know I had been on a couple of podcasts with Shiloh before this before I became co-host of this podcast with you Riley Shiloh and Ben interviewed me on LDS Liberty on Islam. Something will probably be, you know, something I'm always talking about as an Islamicist, but something we'll probably go into a little bit more here in the podcast in the future. And then, you know, there were times that I've, that I guess, there was one time at least that I guess co-hosted on the Come Follow Me podcast. I had been part of, you know, these groups that, that Shiloh's put together for a long time, you know, LDS Liberty. I remember actually quit Facebook over, you know, I had, I'd been asked to come in as a, as a moderator and to talk about, you know, not to talk about Islam, but to respond to people who were posting about Islam in negative ways out of, a, out of misunderstanding, out of fear that comes from misunderstanding, those kind of things. I became frustrated with, with people who didn't really know Islam, they didn't really know the Quran, and they were quoting. And this is the kind of thing that you see. That there's a lot of divisiveness in general, especially when it comes to religion and politics. Right, those two things we're not supposed to talk about that that we've been talking about for years. Right, Shiloh. <laughs> <laughs> of all things, those two things. Yes, indeed. And so you know, it's been it's been really good for me to to go to get into this conversation in a way where I can have this voice and and not have to necessarily be in a in a dialogue other than with Riley. Thank you for that, Riley, to be able to talk. And, and at the same time, you know, uh, we, again, we have this social media presence, anyone who wants to interact with us, anyone who reaches out to me, it's not that hard to, to find out my contact information. I've got lots of Google juice, as I say, and I welcome any sincere inquiry or any, you know, provocative conversation. I'm always interested in learning more and, and discussing and, you know, I traffic in ideas, put it that way. Yeah, we have a lot of people, I think I speak for all of us, that will reach out to us on Facebook Messenger um, and have questions that, that came out of the show or just wanted to comment on it. I love that stuff. Uh, you know, good, bad, uh, neutral, doesn't matter. I, I really enjoy engaging with listeners, and I think you guys probably do too. So want to encourage more of that. We want you to be involved in the show and help us set the direction and and let us know what uh, what rings true or or engages you more. We want to do more of that. So, uh, you know, we discussed a little bit about the genesis of how this came about, but how that sort of set the direction for the show. You know, the first eight to ten episodes or so, we were kind of laying this groundwork of, of where we were going to go with things. And, you know, I think that's a good starting point for anyone who wanted to pick up newly uh, new to the show and, and kind of come in and understand what, what it's all about. And it was in those first few episodes that I started to wrap my mind around what this contemplative approach is really all about and how it interfaces with stuff like peace studies and the various hermeneutics that we had been applying to understand scripture and revelation. And it, it, it became clearer to me that they were very closely related, as you said, Shiloh, this, this whole peace approach and the, the Beatitudinal Sermon on the Mount hermeneutic, the, the cruciform hermeneutic, um, that, as Gregory Boyd has, has instituted and taught, um, and, and the overlap that that has with, with mysticism and communion with God. Guys, talk a little bit about how this has influenced you and your approach to spirituality and the scriptures and revelation. What has this approach done for you? Yeah, you know, I for myself, it, it's really transformed the way that I, I see the world. So it's not even just a scriptural hermeneutic or something that I approach scripture with, but it's something that 
has really taken over how I see the whole world. And, you know, there's been a couple of podcasts that we've done, a couple episodes on stories. You know, Christopher and I did a recent one on stories. And when we start studying the Sermon on the Mount, you can't help but start to analyze the assumptions that we make in society for the way society is and see how a different world can be formed and what narratives or stories or assumptions about society and civilization and even about the individual, uh, about how those things need to change. But the thing is, what I love about the, the Sermon on the Mount is that it is entirely individualistic in, in that it means that we take responsibility for ourselves. I think it was Mother Teresa who says, everybody wants to go out to change the world, but nobody really wants to look at themselves, right? And so it, politics, having been highly political, and and Riley, I know uh, you know that's how we met. You know, we through through kind of politic politics there, and uh, when we were both living in Utah, that's always about going out and changing society before you change the heart. It's going out there and affecting and and using government as the tool of of passing laws and rules and regulations to be able to make sure that regardless of people's desires, that that now it's enforced right through the sword. And the Sermon on the Mount spoke to me in a different way. And it spoke to me in a different way that was far more about persuasion and gentleness and meekness and love and kindness and, and long suffering. And that just spoke to me. And it was a different way that said, you know what, no matter what my neighbor is, no matter what my neighbor believes, no matter what my neighbor does, I don't have to control that anymore. I don't have to try to get more people on my side of the line versus the other side of the line to agree with me to pass a rule, a law, a regulation, or to, or to remove one even. You know, heaven knows there's far too many laws on the books that we, you know, let's repeal a few. But in that particular case, what the Sermon on the Mount and nonviolence and all of these things started coming to me was that these are things that I can live personally, me, right here, right now. And it doesn't matter what everyone else does. And I can be peaceable with all of my neighbors. And I don't have to be able to see them and otherize them and to see them as someone separate from myself. I don't have to devalue their humanity or ridicule them or to speak wrongly of them. Now, heaven knows I don't live up to that standard all of the time, but at least it was a new idea of living that I didn't have to try to defend the truth. I didn't have to go out there to, to wage an apologetic war on, on ideas. I just, it was, and, and, and there's, it, it seems kind of counterintuitive because whenever you start talking about this, living in a world of ideas where people want to assert their positions of truth and, and truth claims, they're automatically going to want to try to defend the status quo or the way that things are. And so there's a little bit of reason and, and rationality that goes into this beatitude, nonviolent, sermon on the mount kind of way. But at the end of the day, when it's actually practiced, it's it really just becomes a personal endeavor. And it's one, and that's really what got me into contemplation. So all of these things working together, and even how this even started and how I practice it every single day, is it has brought a, it has brought a new level of peace into my life that I didn't know before. And it's brought me into a completely different relationship with God as an experience as opposed to an idea that simply talking about my relationship with God as having spirit, quote unquote, spiritual experiences, um, as if they're just kind of one or two things you can have through the day, but actually being able to live in the experience of God and and that God didn't require everything that I thought God required of me, and that I'm always already just there with him. And so that was that was completely different for me and completely changed my life. That reminds me of a favorite episode of mine that you and Riley recorded, Shiloh, on worth and worthiness. Yeah, I remember that. I was actually going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, it was one of, uh, yeah, I remember recording that. And, and that, was, that came at a particular time when I was I was going through a major transition. I don't Riley can speak to if uh, if he had experienced the same thing before, but I was going through a major transition at that time and, and recognizing um, these worthiness narratives that I had lived under for so long were just not helpful. And not only were they not helpful, but they were damaging. And so it was it was really a transformative moment for me when we recorded that. One of my favorite episodes as well, Shiloh. A lot of what you're talking to for me it speaks to these sort of. There's these adjectives that all describe a different approach than what we're used to. I mean, you contrasted like this, this receptive, submissive, persuasive type of approach versus a coercive, forceful, defending, commanding approach to life in general. And at some point, guys, I think we need to do this 
this divine masculine, divine feminine type uh, episode where we really discuss the, the, these two contrasting approaches to, to life and spirituality and growth and communion. There's, there's this idea that, you know, you can, you can force truth on others, not by example, but by, by words and by, um, by command. And then the opposite of that would be, I'm going to, as Mother Teresa pointed out, I'm going to work on myself before I try to change the world. And that, that's more of the inner approach. And so we, we did an episode a long time ago called uh, on exotericism and esotericism. And I think this relates directly to what you're talking about, Shiloh, with these various approaches. There's kind of like the inner transformational approach, and there's the outer approach, which is how we interface with the world. And, and we've talked about this in the past where both are sort of necessary for the world to function. But the one that I think I was anyway deficient in for a long time was the inner approach. Yeah, same here. It's such, it's such an important piece of the puzzle that, that we're missing, uh, that, that at least we were missing, and that, that I think that we've observed and uh, others have admitted and we've observed is missing, at least for some of us in our tradition, where we're focused on the, on the outer practices, sometimes to the point of being pharisaical, right, ironically, and, and missing the, the inner kernel that goes with that outer shell that I, that iron rod is there to so that we can hold on to it to walk the path, not to stand still and hold fast to it, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that if you look at those first 10 episodes, really that was my uh, coming into this practice. It was me, and, and I, I can't speak for Shiloh and you, but for me anyway, it was coming into the realization of what this means as a lifestyle. And we've talked about ascension in the past as a theme, for me, this was sort of an ascension into this new practice of sort of the pers- the passive, receptive, submissive, persuasive, example-driven, detached inner work of transformation. You know, when you mentioned the word uh, theme, right, they're, they're to bring out some themes in the podcast, a couple have come out already, right? One is the beatitudinal hermeneutic. Another is the the inner versus the outer experience, the esoteric and the exoteric, both being important, uh, but covering as you know a, con- a contemplation podcast more of the esoteric side of things, and then the the worthiness question, right? The idea of already always being worthy, and with that, you know, the the experiential part of what it means to be in a relationship with God. And have and have an experience of that, and so with that, the well, the the big words that we use all the time here for this is the the epistemological, which means the experiential, our our own experience of God versus the metaphysical interpretations of certain religious concepts that end up being given sort of an ontological status, sort of a metaphysical status that that they don't necessarily have, or that at least we can think more about the epistemological side of it and deal with our experience of it and get into that and be able to 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 better understand what these things mean whatever the whatever the concept may be these religious concepts like sin like uh, worthiness righteousness all these kind of ideas that were when we give them this ontological status that they don't necessarily have they become these theologically laden concepts that end up weighing on us in the way that I heard Shiloh say that it's not actually helpful and it may be even harmful. It can be damaging. And when when we turn and we look at the esoteric side of things, the inner experience and the epistemological side of it, then we can better understand these ideas and where they're going. Because again, that outer shell is there to protect this inner experience, that inner kernel of an experience of God. I think one of the approaches that we've had that's been consistently applied throughout the podcast history has been to sort of either challenge or deconstruct the axiomatic nature of of this, where not everything has this objective truth that we all can uh, approach and understand equally. We we are humans, and we have a subject uh, a subjective experience with with divinity. And being able to describe and explain that has been uh, sort of expansive for me. It's been eye-opening for me to to understand there's more than one way to view these things. 
And so that's been my overall approach ever since, whether it's, you know, how I attend church and listen to lessons or how I teach lessons as a gospel doctrine teacher or how I read scriptures and interpret scriptures has not to be, has, has been not so much now to look for these maxims or, or axioms of truth that are unchangeable, but to look at how my experience with those things affects me. It's my own experience or communion with the, with the principle and with the divinity behind it. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that both of you made with, you know, Christopher, you were talking about how to experience God. And I think in a lot of ways that, especially coming from the Latter-day Saint belief tradition, there is, there's an emphasis on having spiritual experiences. And especially in the last 30 years, there's been this new evolution coming into having a personal relationship with Christ. Whereas, you know, under McConkie, <laughs> I remember reading something from Bruce R. McConkie where he's like, no, 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 a personal relationship with Christ is not a thing. <laughs> and so he didn't really like that idea. But it's become more and more of a of an idea and of an experience that's come into the Latter-day Saint experience. But, you know, we've talked about, I remember talking about earlier on about Meister Eckhart and this idea of even letting go of the very idea of God. And this was not a call for atheism or to, or to disbelieve in God, or nor was it a call even like a, a Descartes skepticism, but it was, it was like what Christopher and I talked about our stories about God. Yeah, the key word there is the idea of God, the idea. It was the stories and the ideas about God that we've planted in our minds and that influence others in terms of how they view God. So it's the stories and the idea about God, not God itself. Right. And, and that takes a lot of deconstruction. And I, and I know deconstruction is, a, um, is becoming more and more of a hot word, right? Because you know, this, this is not just in, in the Mormon tradition, but this is going on in Christianity in general, in, uh, in evangelicalism in, throughout America. Um, you know, Derrida talks a lot about it. But th this deconstructionism is a necessary component of us growing and moving forward. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the general authorities, they talk a lot about in terms of don't give up the ground you've already made in, in terms of growth. And, and I think in a lot of ways that's helpful until it's not, because for me personally, it's recognizing that once, you know, that which we resist persists. And if I resist giving up any ground that I've made, I really don't give room for God to be able to make more. And the minute that I let go, it was this really interesting trust fall into God in, in wondering, is there a kind benevolent universe like Richard Ward would say, or is there this kind benevolent God who's always there? Or is it a conditional God? Is it? And so it's, it's fascinating that the more that I've studied American religion and Christianity come to find out that this cause and effect kind of transactional God that, that I've lived in most of my life was really just the American adaptation of the Enlightenment and how it infused Christianity and how that evolved within the Christian scope, that this idea that I've lived in with this kind of transactional God, and, and that's not to say because going back way back in the Old Testament, they had certain transactions that they lived with, with uh, suffering and sacrifice narratives. But the particular brand that I was living in was a very Americana way of thinking. And, and I was like, my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm living a life of just my surroundings. I'm not living an authentic life. And, and I'm trying to fit in my, my life into a box of, of, of a cultural make. And to a point we can't escape that, but at least to be able to, once I recognize it, and if it's not working to let it go. And, and I think in a lot of my conversations with people, especially, you know, talking about Latter-day contemplation and, and what uh, Ben and I do with, with Come Follow Me, is giving everyone the permission to be able to repent. And, and that sounds weird, to give yourself freedom to repent. When we look at the LDS Bible Dictionary, though, it's to see God differently. It's to see ourselves differently. It's to see the world differently. To be able to say, hey, I thought this way about God before, but you know what? I wasn't experiencing God. I wasn't experiencing the awe of God. You know, as we've talked about before, it's to talk about salt, not to taste it. I want, I, I'm tired of talking about it. I actually want to taste it. And that's, and that's really where contemplation became a really important thing for me and, and so attractive was because at, you know, language prohibits us from being able to talk about what we actually want to talk about. And so really at best, 
you know, the, the theologians and the, the gurus who actually do know what they're talking about. All, all they say is, look, all we can do is point to this thing. Like there's something over there that we can't talk about because words can't describe it. But all we can do is kind of point over there and say, this thing exists. And then say, this is kind of the jumping off point. And this is kind of how we did it. And then you just get on the slide and you write it until you get to the, until you get the experience. And, and that's what it was for me. It was my ideas of God had prohibited me from being able to jump into that awe moment. And I needed to let go of a lot of stuff. And the minute I let go of that, it was, it was like miracles happened in these new experiences. And so I, th- that was really my journey for this, this whole contemplation and the things that we've talked about with, uh, with Latter-day contemplation. You know, the irony of what you just said isn't lost on me, Shiloh, that we're having a podcast about the ineffable. Like <laughs> at a certain point, this podcast is just going to end in silence because we will have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's something uh, that comes to my mind from Marcus Aurelius and in, in listening to what you've said, Shiloh, and that is this idea of his where he writes, waste no more time arguing what a good man should be, be one. Yeah. This is about being. Yeah, that's a difficult thing. It, it, it's an awareness, too, because once we start to realize that there's nothing wrong, um, we live our lives in such black and white binary thinking of, of this dualistic black and white thinking. You know, I think of the Book of Mormon when we know what's talking about, we learn everything by their opposites. And, and to, a, to a certain degree, we do, but I don't think that's a, necessarily, a necessary feature. I just think that's the, a popular one that we've passed down through it through the ages. Because concepts of hot and cold are not objective in reality. They're subjective to our personal experience. And, and really, to what, what is hot is what is above my body temperature, and what is cold is really below my body temperature. And, and so there's more objective ways of measuring temperature or even of light, right? How many of us have can see ultraviolet light, UV light, right? We see a very specific spectrum of light and a spectrum of reality, and we hear a specific frequency of sound. And those are what our senses give us, and those are the experiences that we have. So let's uh, spend a little time, just a couple minutes, going back through some of the old episodes, uh, the the topics that we discussed, and just just talking briefly about some of the high points for you. You guys mentioned a couple of favorites that you had on on worth and worthiness and on esotericism and exotericism. And then uh, I know in the in the notes to the show that we prepared ahead of time that uh, Chris, you've got you've got one in there that was recorded fairly recently on the vision, which is DNC seventy six, that kind of dovetailed with the uh, Come Follow Me podcast that Shiloh and Ben do. But talk a little bit about some of the high points for some of those episodes for you guys. Yeah, we might even go into a little more detail and spend a little more time if we go into the the subject matter a little bit. You know, I think that podcast on on the vision was really it was actually inspired by by something I heard on the Come Follow Me podcast. You know, I realized and I can't remember, I may I may even have recorded that one with Ben. I, I've stepped in a couple of times for Shiloh as a guest co host. On, on our sister podcast. But there's this idea that, that we explored where the scriptures aren't really the end point, but the starting point of an experience of God, where we think, okay, we have this text that's this revealed text that this is the, the destination, and I go there and I, I be in that space, and it's about what's in front of me, whereas really what we saw with, with Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon is that they started from that point and then that opened up for them a whole experience that was completely different. And even maybe we could even say contradictory to what was in front of them in black and white and an, an, an expansive in a, in, a, in a real way, especially in an, in an experiential way. Well, of course, I say an experiential way. They had a vision of, um, of degrees of glory that are thought of in a metaphysical way as something that happens in the afterlife, but that we've actually talked about as a possibility here and now. Another favorite episode of mine was on resurrection, where we talked about being living a, a resurrected life now, not, not after we die, but now. And the idea that eternal life is a, is a quality of life, not a quantity of life. So these are some recurring themes too, right? Yeah, those those episodes really opened my mind a lot just in discussing them. So many times we get on there and we're discussing these things as if we're some sort of authority figure. We're not. We're learning as we go. And one of the things I really learned a lot from in studying that vision episode was exactly what you talked about, that the scriptures themselves become 
a starting off or a jumping off point for revelation. You know, when, when Joseph and Sidney were, were studying from, I think it was John, was it John 5, where it was talked about that uh, Jesus had life within himself, that the Father has life within himself, and how that sort of opened our minds to this idea that resurrection, for instance, is, is not just a one-time event, but it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a way of living, sort of like baptism. Baptism can be a mode for a way of living if you approach every day as if you are dying to yesterday's self and you're being reborn in today's self, um, dying to the old false narratives, awakening to the new ideas, and some of those things were brought out for Joseph and Sidney from, by, uh, by reference, reading this other scripture in John chapter 5, and then praying and applying what they learned from their prayer into a new section of scripture. And so the instructive thing for me was not that, oh, wow, we got this amazing doctrine in DNC 76 that's shown to us. For me, it was procedural. It was like, this is the process we went through to receive personal revelation about about the heavens and about, you know, um, revelation in general. And I thought, well, that's a model that I can follow. It's, it's not so much that I have to adopt Joseph and Sidney's understanding of what they received in vision as a result of studying scripture. It's that I can study scripture and receive visions myself and incorporate those into my own practice and understanding of the divine. You can, as I've said to my kids, they should produce scripture yourself. You know, that reminds me of another project that has been uh, co-existent with all these other projects we've talked about, and that's the Sunday morning Come Follow Me discussion that I host. And again, that's something that's open to the public too, I believe. This is something that one of our guests on the podcast, Morgan Aldis, started a while back, and this was during the lockdown, wasn't it? This was a time when when nobody was going to church in, in our uh, tradition, and so we had this space that we created and, and it's gone on and it's changed times and it's become earlier and earlier, especially for me here on the West Coast. But I've continued to do that because we've gotten so much out of it. Those of us who get together for those discussions have gotten so much out of it. So I did something very similar, Riley, Sunday morning, last Sunday, with Section 128. I looked at Section 128 and instead of focusing on what was being brought out, I focused on, and it seemed really, I could see it happening. It seemed really apropos to actually look at that section and see how this revelatory process is taking place. Same idea. Very cool. You bring up uh, Morgan Aldous as uh, someone who's been kind of tangentially um, associated with the program. We actually brought him in for a couple episodes to talk about a topic that, you know, perhaps people think of very mysteriously or just kind of as being archaic, and that was alchemy. Um, t- talk a little bit about the alchemy of beatitude and and some of the approaches that he took that opened our minds and, and uh, gave us new insights as to what alchemy means and, and what it could mean for us as we uh, study scriptures and, and various texts. Yeah, those are two of my favorite episodes, the, the episodes we do with Morgan and one of them, we just discussed the what alchemy is and, and sort of a, a, a spiritual alchemy, which is what alchemy really was about. Some people, you know, most people think that, that alchemy is this misunderstanding that the ancients or the medievals had where they thought that they could do something like turn base metals into gold. And, and that was, that became chemistry. And, and now it's, and now it's actually a thing, right? Where before they just thought it was a thing and that thing couldn't be done. Where in reality, the exercises or the the activities that the alchemist were was performing that were exoteric that were these experiential activities were really meant to create an inner experience i should say that the these experimental activities were meant to create an experiential activity right an inner an inner experience i should say and so morgan mentioned that it's better to think of chemistry as as alchemy denuded of its deeper meaning and so we went into that, and then we had the idea to go into sort of an ascension approach uh, to an, an alchemical approach to the Beatitudes, and we really went into that not really knowing where it would go. That was really exciting. We had just such a great conversation. We also went through a similar uh, experience with Travis Patton going through Dante's comedy, right, the Divine Comedy. Same idea, going through this ascension process with a dissension, with a catabasis, with an anabasis, an ascension. And those were two really good episodes, too. 
you know, at, at, since that time, that time when we talked about alchemy and, and all the things that we've learned about it, we actually did a book club that was related to alchemy within our circle of friends. And we read several books on alchemy and really kind of dove deep into this subject. But ever since then now, you mentioned section 128 just a moment ago and how that was a, very, a new approach to scripture for you and how it could become revelatory. I read section 128 and got down to verse 24 and I'm like, holy cow, this verse is so alchemical. All of the terms being used were pure alchemy. And you would, you would only know that if you had studied somewhat a little bit about what this alchemy means and, and the archetypes it represents in our subconscious. But I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick just to give you an idea of, of the role that alchemy can play for us spiritually, not so much you know chemically through chemistry or whatever, but, but alchemically. Behold, the great day of the Lord is at hand, and who can abide the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let us therefore as a church and a people and as Latter-day Saints offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, and let us present in his holy temple, when it is finished, a book containing the records of our dead, which shall be worthy of all acceptation. How cool to be reading a verse of scripture and have a practical approach to understanding something which, you know, I never thought was religious or spiritual in nature at all. But having that understanding come to me as I read a modern day, latter day scripture that on its surface really has nothing to do with alchemy until you study it a little bit. So that, that's been great to learn more about that uh, subject through Morgan and others. Yeah, to your point, Riley, I saw that too and and going through that section. And by the way, that's a reference to an Old Testament scripture. It really is. And and that section has a lot of quotes. This one is one that's not actually quoted, but it's footnoted. There's another episode we recorded with Travis that I really enjoyed too. I'm I'm so grateful to all of the the guests that we've had on the podcast. That those have been some of the most fun episodes for for you and uh, and me to record together. Um, although we've had some of our own too, where we've just been surprised, you know, so many times we go into it with an idea, we talk before the show, and then something else happens, something synergistic where, where it's not my idea, it's not your idea, it's, it's something else that's, that, that becomes uh, ours as we go through the process of, of having the conversation. But there's the one other episode that we recorded with, with Travis Patton on classical com- uh, contemplation that I really enjoyed too. Yeah, then I think another important episode for me, which I think, you know, a lot of these, we've chosen these guests carefully, of course, and, you know, we anyone who wants to be a guest on the podcast, we welcome those kind of inquiries too. You know, we have, if you've synchronized with our message, as even some of the people that we've invited that didn't know the podcast have been thoughtful enough, like Phil McLemore, who said, well, let me go into your podcast and listen to a few episodes and and see what you're all about before I agree to do that. And he came on the podcast and we talked about Jesus from a, from what would you say, from a, a Hindu perspective, right? Yeah, just more esoteric Jesus, you know, Jesus the Christ versus, you know, Jesus the the figurehead. Right. And then we've had one of the, one of the important episodes I know that has been you know, other than unworth and worthiness, which really had a lot of positive response to it. Another one was on navigating a faith crisis, which, by the way, is something we went that that was titled that way. And I'm not sure it should have been because we, as we went into the conversation, we should have come out with a different title because we actually came out. I, I know that I was transformed myself in the conversation, thinking in terms not of faith crises, but of faith transitions and realizing that we're all always in transition. I remember telling my wife recently that I said, honey, I think I have my own religion. And she says, well, it's funny because of course she thinks, well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> because she finds me a little bit unorthodox, right? But the reality is I think if you if you go into this thought a little bit, you realize that we each have our own religion. And that's very much a theme that we've brought out. And that's something that you've said even in this episode, Riley, is that we all have our subjective experience. Shiloh, you've said the same thing. We all have our subjective experience. And that's the reality of the the, the binds um, that bind us to God. And that's that's what's meant by religion, those binds. 
some of the faith, uh, the, the model of faith development outlines that, that Jana Spangler shared with us have, have become pretty important for me in helping me to see others with a certain amount of patience and grace. Not that I don't need that myself, because I certainly do, but like, lest I think myself any better or more advanced than, than those around me, her, her outline of, of development of faith, uh, the, the, the various stages of faith development has helped me to see the value in every stage. Um, in that episode, we talked about three or four different, uh, faith stage development models and some of the ones that, that she uses in her practice as a, as a, a family, what, what is she a family counselor? She's a faith transition coach. She's yeah, that's right. She is. She's that's her specialty is faith transitioning, and not necessarily out of the church, but just finding an approach to to faith and spirituality that works for the individual in the context of relational experiences in marriages and families and that sort of thing. So her perspective, having dealt with hundreds of people in that um, in that space, is was tremendously helpful for us. I think it really was. Another favorite episode of mine, you know, I, you guys both mentioned, you and Shiloh, Riley, you mentioned this idea of, of your own transition from politics into, I, I'm usually maybe a little too provocative, I say into Christianity. That's how I like to put it. I don't see it when, you know, looking back, um, I, don't, I don't see how I could have thought the way I did because as I've, as I've approached Christ and, and studied who Jesus of Nazareth was, I see him as someone who's really not at all concerned with what's going on politically. He's going to do his own thing. His kingdom is not of this world. The Romans can do what the Romans do, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and that's that, right? And so he's doing his own thing. And so I, I myself too, you know, just like you guys, I had this this political bent. And and you know, Shiloh and I both are are philosophers, and we've studied political philosophy, and we know that the the be-all, end-all of political philosophy, as Shiloh has pointed out, is, well, why don't you tell, tell us what it is, Shiloh? What's the point there? The point of political philosophy? I, I, it's usually towards geared towards some kind of good society, but my criticism on it has always been the starting point, not necessarily the, the destination, because it was the recognition that we're always confronted with the two great commandments, and political philosophy begins right where the two commandments are rejected, Whereas the idea of Zion is what happens when we adhere to the two great commandments of loving God and loving our neighbors ourself. But then we get into that discussion of what it means to love God and love our neighbors ourself, and that's a whole, that's a whole episode, you know, slew of episodes in itself. But future episode, yeah, future episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah, political philosophy is is really just the for I I, I know this is oversimplification, but it's kind of throwing mud against the wall to see what sticks as far as how to take a, a group of individuals who don't love God with all their heart, might mind, and strength, and who don't love their neighbors themselves, and then how to try to find order in that, and how to try try to find an ethic in that, and how to find a way of being together in a politic in all of that, when it, it's kind of a, a different discussion. It's like you've already missed the boat. And so whenever I've, that was my realization for political philosophy anyway. And so when I my transition from, as you said, Christopher, from politics to Christianity, <laughs> that was the road, that, that was the conversation that I made that transition for myself, was was recognizing what I was doing in those two conversations. Because a lot of the time, we think we can have the conversation of Zion without first recognizing what brought about the political conversation. And a lot of the time, we want to make our political beliefs the ones that will be enforced in Zion as though... If we just if we just enforce the right laws that happen to agree with what I believe in, then then would create Zion. Then it would be a good society. So at that point, like I was saying before, so long as I get enough people over on my side of the line, then everything is going to be okay. But something Richard Rohr said completely blew my mind and and almost and dismantled so much when he said that unity is not uniformity. I'm like, hmm, unity is not uniformity. But he went on to talk about how unity is diversity that's held together by love. I love you to do it differently than I do. And that floored me. Just, just that idea. Unity is diversity held together by love. I love you to do it differently than me. 
And I think for the most of my life, I saw unity as uniformity, that everybody believes the same way that I do. And I just happen to have the correct beliefs. And in having the correct beliefs, this is everything works out really well. And, and that's kind of the driving thought in politics, right? It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a conservative, if you're a liberal, if you're a socialist, a libertarian, an anarchist, it doesn't really matter where you are. So long as you have the right beliefs, your idea is going to create good society or better society. Yeah. So ultimately, all of these politi- all of the political philosophies, you and I have studied all of them, uh, at least in the Western tradition. I've, I've studied them in the Islamic tradition, too. I don't know about the Far East, you know, but in terms of Near Eastern, Middle Eastern because they're two different time periods, right? And and the Western traditions, all of them, the, as you said, they start where the the first two commandments have failed, meaning we have failed to follow them. And now it's how much force can be used by who, under what circumstances, but it's all about force. And so this is completely contrary to the experience of priesthood power, which is this experience of not of compulsion, not of coercion, but of persuasion, of love unfeigned and et cetera, as, as in section 121. You know, that, that calls to mind the episode we did with Lindsay, actually, because she talked about her evolution. And this is Lindsay Olin, who's, uh, you know, a key, a key person when it comes to this Latter-day Peace Studies group and really keeping the ball rolling for us. But she, she talked about her transition out of politics and how it essentially has been a, a, a brightening of her soul. It's just lightened her so much to focus on Jesus instead of politics, where she just became heavily depressed uh, when she was involved in the political process and how it just consumed her every waking moment to be, you know, tucked in and, and really abreast of all the news that was happening and everything. So I think that she's an example of someone who has benefited greatly from the approach of just applying um a Christ-like life to all of your neighbors and uh, applying the great commandments to your neighbors to try to live that Zion lifestyle versus trying to, you know, force your neighbors into a certain way of being via the political uh, machine. So that it was cool to hear her experiences as well. One other, other episode that kind of comes to mind for me is one where I learned quite a bit was the episode where we had Dan Meehan on. Dan was a member of various groups that we're in, and he had a very hermetic bent. He was very um, tied in and, and interested in symbols. And so we did an episode on contemplating symbols and meanings with Dan, and it was so surprising what came out of that. It was not expected at all. You spoke earlier, Chris, about how some of these things are just off the cuff, and we end up in a place where we never anticipated. Well, for me, that was one of those episodes but Dan, you know, gave us an example of how a symbol can develop based on the subjective experience of the person who is uh, observing the symbol. And so if you ever want to see or understand how a symbol can develop sort of organically from nothing, uh, listen to that episode. I thought that was pretty interesting. He gave us a real-time example. He actually led us through a, a real-time, you know, example of how to do it. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I've known Dan. I was really surprised when I saw his name pop up on the episode. I didn't know you guys were going to be including Dan. And I've known Dan almost as long as I've known Christopher. And and so when I saw his name pop up there, I was really excited to listen to it. And it was a really great episode. That was one of the episodes I was going to talk about uh, as as liking as well. He's 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 one of those real non-assuming men that you'll meet in your life who, when you sit down and talk with him, you just you walk away from the conversation thinking, how have I never thought about it this way before? <laughs> so he's he's really has that good talent to be able to to have you uh, to take you on that journey as you just talked about Christopher. Well, speaking of talent, he's got an amazing radio voice too. Yes, he does. Yeah, you know something uh, shows up for me in this conversation, Riley, and that is that you, as you've pointed out, well, as I pointed out, some of these conversations take on a life of their own. They go in unexpected directions, and I remember actually with with Dan, it was a little bit of a slow start getting into the conversation that's how it goes sometimes even between the two of us Riley and so I know that you know this this podcast is minimally edited it is edited and by the way I used to do that myself thinking back to when I first became co-host on this podcast with you Riley and now we have my son to thank for that every week he he we record on Tuesday he edits on Wednesday we release on Thursday and we've been able to do that consistently thanks to Christian and and his work. He's a rock star. Yeah. He he yeah. does a really great job. He really does. Yeah. He he does a better job than I did. So but it's minimally edited. So sometimes 
you know, it just takes, it's a slow burn, right? Some of these episodes, we get into these conversations and they sort of take on a life of their own and they go on in unexpected directions. Well, let's talk guys just for the next couple minutes about what you envision for the future of the podcast. You know, we've, we've sort of covered the big topics when it comes to contemplation and maybe even Latter-day Saint theology and how they apply to this contemplative approach. But in the next 50 episodes or however many we end up doing, what do you, where do you want to see things go? Yeah, you know, I don't know that we've covered all the big topics. And of course, we could go into detail. I think what we've done is we've taken big titles in some sense. I, I worry sometimes about the, the titles we're choosing because this episode, whatever episode it may be that's on this topic, whatever this topic may be, isn't really the be-all, end-all discussion of that topic. And so we can always go into further depth into some of the things we've already covered. And then there's some new directions we want to go in. I know that Ben and I, in talking about me taking Shiloh's place as co-host with Ben Peterson on the Come Follow Me podcast, we talked about, you know, Shiloh and Ben, you guys started recording, you know, these podcasts on the, on the Come Follow Me podcast on, the, on, on these modern scriptures, right, in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, these Latter-day scriptures, right? And there was really, did you guys have in mind that you would go on into the Old Testament necessarily? You know, it's so funny, this transition. Uh, you know, Ben and I both taught seminary, early morning seminary, and I started teaching it. Uh, it was new Old Testament year when I became this, the, a sub. And so I was a sub for the first year. And and I so I got to teach like five different classes, but I was I was basically teaching two weeks out of the out of the month because I subbed so much. But it was really intermittent. And so I always felt disjointed teaching the Old Testament. And I was so excited to finally teach it. So when finally the four years came around and I was teaching and I was uh, doing early morning seminary full time, when we got to the Old Testament years, when President Nelson changed the whole curriculum so that everything lines up with, with Come Follow Me. And so I didn't get to do Old Testament. We, we did the four gospels and we started over with the Book of Mormon at the beginning of the year. And I was like, ah, rats, I don't get to do the Old Testament. Like I don't get to teach the whole Old Testament. So I felt really, uh, really sad. And then when we started to do the come follow me, I've always kind of had this forward vision of thinking about the Old Testament. I finally get to talk about the Old Testament. <laughs> and Ben and I, we've talked a lot about behind the scenes, just the, the different ways of talking about scripture because of how it is written. With Book of Mormon, it came out really effortless because we, we both love the Book of Mormon. We both studied it um, extensively. Ben has so many insights into this, into the scriptures that I just, I wish I could just sit down and listen to him the whole time and, and not even have to talk about it at all. But when uh, Book of Mormon, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. We're so used to it. But then when we got into Doctrine and Covenants, it's a completely different animal because the Doctrine and Covenants is not a narrative. It's just, they're independent revelations that you have to connect and connect into a non-scriptural narrative of church history. And so it's like, well, how are we going to do this with kind of the Latter-day Peace Studies vibe and everything? So, you know, we, we try to do what we could and to see God pouring through the cracks and kind of experiment. Where's Joseph in this? Where's God coming through this? Where's this beatitude hermeneutic, you know, when it pops its head up every now and then? And, and I think we've come up with some really good episodes um, throughout the whole thing. But then when it came time that I'm, I've got another year worth of coursework for my graduate program, and I've got to kind of step it up to take extra classes to be able to, to, to finish before, you know, on my, on my schedule. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to hold the time for Old Testament. And so I was talking with Ben about it and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And, and I'm like, well, do you want to keep on going with it? And he's like, well, it's, you know, Old Testament kind of scares me because I mean, if there's one thing that has more has been written about the New Testament, the only thing that really more people have written about religiously than the New Testament is the Old Testament. <laughs> and so it's like, how are we going to possibly get so caught up on the Old Testament to offer anything new? Right. And, and I was just like, I'm not going to have time. And, and again, just, just like with this one, I was like, I know Christopher's already doing, uh, doing, uh, Latter-day contemplation. And I know you're super busy with, with, you know, you, you educate your own children, Christopher, and, and you work, you work there. And so I was like, can you possibly have another thing on his plate? And I remember talking to Ben about it and Ben's like, well, that seems like a good, a good, uh, opportunity. If, if Christopher wants to do it, I, I wouldn't mind keeping on doing it. And you graciously accepted. And so it, it's, it's really interesting. I really look forward to seeing how you and Ben are going to treat the Old Testament and to see how that, how that comes across through the chapters that are distinguished and, and, uh, 
and categorize there and, and come follow me. But no, did I have an idea that it would get that far? I, I don't know, but we're 70 plus episodes into it. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep on keeping on. Yeah. When Ben and I talked about our vision for that podcast, you know, going into that, first of all, Shiloh, there's, there's one sense in which we didn't know, none of us knew if we'd go forward with the Old Testament at the same time. When I first came to Bakersfield, I know, as you said, you and I both had this, this interest and this excitement about going into the Old Testament. I thought we might do something like this together, something like a podcast on the Old Testament, some, something like this. So when Ben and I talked about it, we decided, yeah, we're going to do it. And we're going to bring in this this perspective that we bring here in this podcast and in that podcast with the metaphysical epistemological distinctions, with the beatitudinal hermeneutic, and some of these other things that we that we go into as themes and as, as approaches. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is we thought, well, if we're doing the Old Testament, then I guess we're doing the New Testament. And by the way, you guys start in the middle of the Book of Mormon, so I guess we'll have to do that. And then what? And so that's where Riley's question comes in, right? Yeah, so I, what Ben and I talked about and Riley and I have talked about is going into other world scriptures. And so that's one thing we want to do with this podcast, too, is to actually go into some of these other world scriptures. As we take this contemplative approach, this mystical approach to, to religion, to the experience of God, when you look at other traditions, when you're not in the, in the outer shell experience, when you're in the inner kernel experience, there's a lot more similarity than difference. The differences come when you, go, when you talk about theology, if you want to talk about how many body parts God has or whether he has any body parts or you know, if he has sons or not and things like this, then, then you might find disagreement. But if you're talking as a Christian contemplative, if you're talking to a Sufi, an Islamic mystic, or if you're talking to a yogi, I mean, we have, I think Riley's reading commentary uh, by um, Yogananda, right? A yogi on, on Christ. And on the Bhagavad Gita. I'm, I'm reading both right now, yeah. And on the Bhagavad Gita, yeah. And, and Riley and I both love the Bhagavad Gita, and I know we can have Phil back on. And so there's, there's the opportunity for us to bring in those other uh, scriptural traditions and religious traditions, at least the contemplative side of them, and maybe even to explain a little bit of the context of that, because if we're going to talk about Islamic mysticism, well then, what is Islam? And this is something that Riley pointed out to me today, today pre-show, is that uh, the church has, was it Bednar, you said? Yeah, Bednar and Gong. Yeah, that there's a, there was an announcement about getting to know Islam. Well, this will be a, a place where you can come learn about that too. And, and so there's that opportunity. And there's also the opportunity for us to bring on not only people like Phil McLemore, who knows the, the yogic tradition, or my friend Tito Momen, who was training to be a, a radical imam, actually, before he became a Latter-day Saint at uh, Al-Azhar, the most venerable institution of, of Islamic learning in the world but also people from those traditions, guests from, from those traditions who have the more contemplative or mystical bent. So those are some of the ideas, and I know we have others. Yeah, I'm really excited for those uh, future guest appearances. And as always, if, if you're listening to this and you have ideas or you have acquaintances that you think, oh man, so-and-so would be a great guest on that show, hit us up, make the introduction. We would love to meet more people that would uh, be willing to come on as guests and, and have deep conversations about some of these matters. So I, I look forward to that. Um, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time in past episodes talking about really what constitutes Scripture, and so I'm looking forward to diving into what I think it was Michael Wilcox called his Eastern Standard Works, you know, the Quran, the Gita, the Tao, the Dhammapada. So that's going to be fun, spending more time in those. Um, I've had the privilege to read all of them, but really diving in and understanding from an esoteric uh, approach or a contemplative approach, the, the nuance of each of those standard works, those Eastern standard works will be a great experience. I'm sure I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And I don't know what, you know, elder, elders Bednar and Gong had in mind in, in promoting an understanding of Islam. But for me personally, as an Islamicist, and, and really as a way that's always been an approach of mine in educating myself and in educating my children to take a comparative approach, you know, whether you, I've studied a number of languages, I've studied a number of religions, I've gone deep into other traditions, other experiences, I've had, you know, I, I grew up bicultural, I grew up bilingual. And so for me, part of my education has always been to, if, if, if I want to understand language, 
then if I'm only monolingual, say, then what is what can be my understanding of language is somewhat limited to my experience of my own my one and only language as, as monolingual. Once I become bilingual, multilingual, now I can have a different understanding of what, what language is. And so it's been the same for me going into the Islamic tradition and getting to know not just about Islam, but about what religion is in and of itself. Well, this has been a pretty fun retrospective. Thinking back on the 50 episodes, um, it just, it actually kind of makes me kind of nostalgic and a little emotional thinking about all the the time and effort and thought that's been poured into these episodes. And I really hope it's been worthwhile for you guys and for the listeners. And speaking for myself, I just really want to thank you guys for uh, the influence you've had on me in, in moving towards this more contemplative approach. And I want to give a last uh, shout out, uh, a repeat shout out to our guests that we've had on in the past. We've had Phil McLemore, Dan Meehan, Jana Johnson Spangler, Lindsay Olin, Travis Patton, and Morgan Aldis. Um, the show wouldn't be what it is without those folks giving of their time and their knowledge to help us along in this journey. So I want to thank them. Also want to, again, thank Christian for our editing and uh, Lindsay for helping out with Latter-day Peace Studies as well. Guys, did I miss anyone? I think that hit everybody that I knew of. Yeah, I want to thank you, Riley, for for being my co-host and for welcoming me into this conversation. And thank you, Shiloh, for inviting me into this conversation. It's been tremendously beneficial to me personally. And I know it has for many others, too, because I've, I've heard from you from the listener. Keep reaching out to us. Share your ideas. Share your thoughts, your responses. Thank you for listening. For Latter-day Contemplation, I'm Riley Risto. And I'm Christopher Hurtado. We'll see you in 50 more episodes. Thanks for being with us, Shiloh. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. I look forward to the future episodes you're going to put out. Have a great week.